Hello and welcome to the C3 Sessions. I'm Andreas Poros. I'm the founder and CEO of a business called Greenlights. My name is Derry Jones, and I'm the founder and chief executive of ThinkTribe. Greenlight brings traffic to your site. ThinkTribe makes sure it converts. We thought it would be good to have a forum where C-level guys can get together to get a sense of their story, the challenges that they face, and the challenges that their customers face. And the tips and tricks we can share on the way. Today we're joined by Joe Bush, who's CEO and founder of a great business called The Chat Shop. And Joe, can you introduce yourself and talk a bit about The Chat Shop? Yeah, of course. Um, so as you mentioned, uh, I'm, I'm Joe, I'm the founder of The, the Chat Shop. Um, we started up about nine years ago um, and we're a full service conversation agency. So our core focus is around uh, growing businesses through the power of conversation. Um, and we cover the full spectrum of all things chat, chatbots, um, and and so on. Um, my team work with a, a mix of kind of fast growth startups and publicly listed firms um, to uh, kind of support their uh, conversion and customer delight through through chat. I think the interesting thing is that all of us on the call now interact with the client journey in different ways. And it's these kind of conversations that they make you realize how reliant we all are on each other without even realizing it. And me and Derry speak about this quite regularly. Interesting. So, obviously, Derry and his team at Tribe, their job is to make sure that sites stay up and stable and there are no technical impediments to, to commerce. And then my team at Greenlight drive traffic um, you know, through advertising, SEO, and those kind of things into the sites. And then so I'm reliant, therefore, on Derry's team, making sure that I'm sending traffic to something that's staying up that can deal with load and scalability but then after the point where i me and my team step back and then the, the customer has to then try and find a way to convert or be satisfied that's when your team joe typically kind of kick in mm -hmm. to fulfill that end of the of the relationship with clients so it's great to, that, to kind of think about that relationship between those 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 things and typically when we experience it with our clients we find that that you know conversion rates are often hard to to, to improve and we spend lots of time with they're doing crow and technical changes and i'm sure Derek does the same thing with his team yeah. and what we don't often get a sense of is what happens when the customer wants to have a conversation and triggers that conversation and it always, always, it's always struck me that there's a, such a wide wide range of experience that people have with be it on-site chats with humans or with chatbots why do you think there is such a broad range of experience from that really great satisfying problem resolved big tick to that people being frustrated and actually often that chat function doing more harm than good in some cases? Yeah, really interesting question. <clears throat> and I think what, what we've found is uh, chat is often a bit of an afterthought for people. They didn't realize that actually is that key missing link in that full customer journey. Um, you know, often when people are trying to grow their, <clears throat> grow their business, their main focus is on driving more traffic because more traffic means more sales or more leads. Um, I think what people often forget is the fact that chat is quite a key part in that decision-making funnel. Um, and because it's not always a, a focus point for people, it doesn't have the time and attention it needs to be able to really get it off the ground and, and drive proper results. We're in quite a fortunate position in terms of we've spent nine years thinking about one thing, which is how can we deliver a good chat experience? And we've learned across different markets and different business sizes and customer types that um, it's, it's actually quite a difficult thing to get right. Um, we're all individuals, and I think businesses often forget the fact that we all have individual needs, and so one-size-fits-all approach doesn't work. 
um, which is often the challenge with chatbots is they tend to be quite um, quite linear, quite restricted in the way they they, they function. Um, whereas because our needs are so unique, um, the kind of a, a more tailored approach needs to be um, placed onto chat. I think the other thing to kind of remember is <clears throat> chat is often seen as a, a cheaper option over and above phone and, and email. Um, and so the way it's, it, it, it's kind of designed is around meeting short-term cost-saving needs, whereas the reality is if you put proper energy into it and really consider um, the, the, the information and the knowledge you have and, and map out those journeys, identify who you should be engaging with at what time, with what message, and then how that then feeds through to the business outcomes. Um, and, and keeping that front of mind can really help you get the best results out of uh, all things chat. I think with some of the bad experiences people have had. So, so I had an experience yesterday with, with FedEx, and I don't mind saying who it was, um, where I had the delivery that was due to arrive and it didn't arrive. So I go onto the website to try and obviously find out what's happened to my delivery, mm. delivered or not. And I was given a chatbot, no other option beyond the chatbot. So then I'm having this conversation, I say conversation in the loosest possible way with this chatbot. <laughs> and it said, your delivery is still due to be delivered. They'll be delivered by 12 a.m. tomorrow, or at 12 a.m. tomorrow. So clearly in my mind, what it's done is it know, it thinks the delivery is coming tomorrow, and the earliest time tomorrow is 12 a.m. So it being the machine goes, it's obviously you're going to receive it at 12 a.m. So then I respond back and say, well, I don't think it is going to be 12 a.m. because what's coming would have been chilled and actually would probably sent back now to the place that it's come from because it can't survive for too long chilled. Um, and so then the chatbot then... Um, didn't know how to respond to that, and then repeated itself again and again and again. So there's me uh, insulting a chatbot just from sheer frustration, and then and apologising to the chatbot for, for, for being rude uh, as well. So it's kind of this, this loop of actually being a really horrible experience, and having no then no option really of speaking to a, a real person or getting any kind of feedback. So then I'm, I'm stuck there just waiting to see if this package does arrive at any point, uh, and no real means of contacting anybody else. So then you contact the actual retailer who says, well, it's not our problem, it's it's FedEx's problem now, we can't really do anything about it. Is that a an issue of implementation or is it an issue of just technology not being as good as it could be or is it is it entirely my fault for expecting too much? Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's a surprisingly common problem. Um, <clears throat> with, with, with chatbots especially, they're only as good as the way they're programmed. And the, the media will portray this our whole idea of uh, AI, machine learning is going to take over our jobs. You'll never need anyone in, in a customer-facing role. Um, but the reality is there's always, there always has to be someone behind the, 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 the chatbot to program it and set it up to be able to handle those sorts of interactions. Um, you know, if it was true AI, you wouldn't need an interface to uh, kind of enhance the bot. It would just self-learn and, and, and handle things on its, on its own. Um, and kind of what you just described is a, is a prime example of an edge case, something which doesn't come up every day. Well, it probably does come up every day with FedEx. Um, but the language you're using is, is very natural. And a, a chatbot just can't interpret that unless it's been programmed to interpret that. Um, and even for the biggest of all businesses, like a company like FedEx, um, it, it, it just doesn't work, unfortunately, for those interactions which are more complicated. Our position on this has always been that chatbots have a, have a purpose, and I'm a big fan of chatbots, but not to try and replace every single contact channel, every single, single interaction 
it's around trying to find that happy medium between what are those kind of more transactional common queries which we can nicely automate and let's also make sure that there's a human there to support them when there are those edge cases which don't fit into what's been being pre-programmed and then you have that continuous loop to then start training based on those those interactions which do feed through to the agent agent team so andrea's story was a customer service story what about you know which is not losing the client what about yeah what about finishing the checkout helping the, the buyer spend the money i mean <laughs> in a lot of cases why would you want to engage with a chatbot um to try and help complete that sale the analogy i always have when it comes to um commerce or, or, or shopping is um and it's probably bad timing because uh, amazon go have just launched their um people list stores um but you know the best in-store experiences are the ones where you have uh, a kind of a, a tailored warm engaging interaction and it's a human to human type uh, relationship um and so chatbots are, are generally less effective in the uh, kind of shopping process. Having said that, for very selective areas, they can be really effective. So we've got some cool stuff um, which monitors if someone is looking to abandon a, a shopping cart and maybe they've tried a discount code that hasn't worked and you can use a bot to surface up a custom code for them and then bring them into a conversation that way. Um, but to expect a, a, a bot to do your sales for you when most sales are quite an emotive decision um, especially in the considered purchase space. Do, do you think, Joe, that people prefer speaking to a human being mm -hmm. as opposed to a chatbot, regardless of, of, of efficiency? Uh, in, in, in most cases, yes, because most chatbot experiences are generally quite poor and they're designed to be efficient, supposedly, rather than to be uh, engaging and warm. There are some exceptions to this because there are there are things that we do where we just don't want to talk to someone. We just want to have an action sorted. So um, take if you're trying to deal with like a utility company or with a refund. Sometimes you just want to be able to action something quickly and efficiently. You don't want to go in a queue. You don't want to have to explain your problem to someone. You just want to just run things as as quick as possible. And chatbots can be brilliant for that because they can integrate into systems and process actions on your behalf. Um, but I, I would say for the majority of what we want to do online, if we want to seek out help or support or a conversational reassurance, um, that's the sort of thing which, which only really a human can effectively do. But I'm assuming it's, it's not feasible for, or commercially feasible for everyone to have human beings manning every possible chat and scenario. So that a mixture <laughs> of chatbots and human chat would be the optimal thing. It's just that both need to be executed exceptionally well ultimately in time yeah in time but the, the nice thing you, yeah, is you can set up with a hybrid human plus chatbot style um way of doing things so that the chatbot handles that initial inquiry and then hands over to a human and i think the mistake people often make is they try and uh build the whole thing in the beginning days um and we always like to try and take a, an mvp style approach a minimum viable product approach whereby we try and build something which has um, kind of some immediate value, but we haven't tried to design a whole lot. And then through learning through real customer interactions, we can then evolve that, the automation side of things to be able to um, kind of bring in efficiency without uh, driving uh, customer dissatisfaction. And, and, and doing it that sort of way means that actually it's a lot more achievable and within reach for firms because there's not a six month development cycle and um, by the time it's live, it's out of date. And that fits in with the way AI, in theory, works or, or 
logic, you train it with real data. So by having humans taking the chats early, they can then work out what's going on and put in your your rules. But sometimes it's very annoying for a user because you're not sure if it's a human or not. To, you know, chatbot pretending yeah. to be human <laughs> is frustrating. Yeah. And and Derry, why 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 is that frustrating for you? Because I, I I do agree with that, but I'm just intrigued, um, kind of the angle from your perspective. I mean, maybe I'm not a typical shopper because I too know, I know too much about the moving parts that go on behind a website. But like in, in Andreas's case, it's like, you know, if it's a real human being, I'm going to shout at them in a different kind <laughs> of way. <laughs> well, I know half of what I say, it just doesn't it just doesn't get. Yeah. I think um, depends on what the intention is of the implementation. So you, can, you, you do get the sense sometimes that a chatbot's just there to try and avoid people having to man uh, a human chat function because it's going to be more expensive, I, I would suspect, than an ordinary uh, chatbot. So often you kind of think, well, is it just someone trying to um, put something in place? And if it only captures even 3% of queries, it, that's good enough because it's acting like gatekeeper. And certainly, as you explained, Joe, that's going to change in time as things get better and improve. Um, but I do kind of, I do kind of think sometimes that some of the chatbot implementations that I've seen are quite cynical in terms of they're designed to deal with only a small percentage of potential queries knowingly, and then almost knowing knowingly doing that and having a good percentage of people using it being dissatisfied. You sometimes you think, well, you may as well not even have it in that case and just give you an email address and I'll get a proper response tomorrow. Um, so, so as of most things, execution is everything, isn't it? Yeah. Execution and giving the customer choice and uh, educating them. I think the, the mistake people often make is they try and hide the fact that it's a bot. And there should be no shame in having a bot because it's fast, it's efficient, it's immediately available. It should be programmed to be able to handle an action, you know, a lot of what you're trying to um, tackle with it. The mistake I think people make is when they try and make it human-like in appearance, and then it deceives people, and then there's there's a, a bit of mistrust being being developed. And then Andreas, with with um, kind of your uh, use case, um, the the challenge there, like you had with FedEx, is you talk to the bot, and then you hit a dead end. Yeah. Whereas there are always options, whether it's escalating through to a human agent, um, you know, triggering a phone call, a form to be able to fill in and and um, send it over to to, to a business or as a ticket or as a as an email. Um, I mean, ideally, it's real time as a human conversation, but not all businesses can uh, have been able to achieve that. I, I would have settled with someone with with the chatbot <laughs> saying, "I can't answer this query, but I've passed it on to someone, and they'll get back to you in five hours." I would have almost been satisfied that well, at least it's not my problem anymore. Someone else can take care of this, and it, I've, I've flagged it as an issue uh, to someone. Um, yeah, and and the other tricky point, if they're not uh, capturing where people are getting lost is how are they ever going to improve the bot? Um, you know, if, if you hit a, uh, a dead end and then you can't give it feedback and, and pass that over through to um, the business, they're never going to be able to train it on those on those um, interaction types. And certainly what we've always done in the agency is you know, when we do our initial research before kind of building a, you know, a plan, a strategy, a digital strategy for clients, is we pull data from where we can find it. Uh, and if there is decent data from the chat function, that's super useful. Um, and you wonder yeah. how much this chatbot data is actually being put in any kind of format that can be shared with anyone for any real proactivity. Uh, and that's interesting in of itself. In terms of is, is that data just a, a dead end and no one's been taking it and go, well, actually, you know, 40,000 people had the exact same problem that, that Andreas had. We probably need to fix this 
be it with product or with FAQs or something. Uh, and so you do wonder whether actually there's, again, is it is implementation often cynical and therefore they don't really care what happens in that chatbot or is it really proactive in terms of, well, you know, if we, if it's not working as well as it could, at least we're capturing data and improving what we're trying to, to, to do. And there's so much data. Um, you know, the, the beauty of all things conversation is you have the transcript all written down, you have timestamps, you can view the visitor's history, um, you can understand where they've come from, what they've actioned on your website. And um, this is such rich information which can be harnessed in so many different ways. I mean, one way I've seen that work is, is at Tribe where we're constantly measuring mystery shopping our clients' websites to make sure the customer experience is good and it's working. And I guess if a client, if a user on a store can't check out for some reason, they've got the goods in the basket, can't check out, some percentage of the, those will flip to chat and flag up, there's a problem on the website, I'm on an iPhone, it's not working for me. Um, so that's where you can join up the, the, the individual with the... Yeah. You know, it, it, removes yeah. the it removes the guesswork, right? I mean, if, <laughs> why people are bouncing on this page so much more than you'd expect? It, it removes the guesswork if someone's actually said to you, well, here's the reason why. Um, <laughs> we had it years ago with them uh, when we worked with hotels.com where we, where, where we had to transfer a lot of their US assets into a UK launch. And what they did is they just copied over their the, the payment gateways over from the US to the UK. So half of the UK credit cards were being um, rejected. It took us ages to find that because you have to go through a whole process of working through every single credit card to see what was happening. It was just it, the country flags were just throwing it out. Um, and if there's a chat function on the page, we would have worked that out within minutes, minutes, literally within minutes. Uh, yeah, and, and that is uh, the beauty of the real time on demand nature of it. Um, because how many customers would have to go through that uh, challenge uh, making their payment to for someone to then reach out and say, hey, I'm trying to pay you money. Um, if they had to go through and phone you or email you, you know, people aren't that, that bothered unless you're selling something very, very unique. Whereas on chat, it's quick, it's easy, they can hopefully get it resolved. Which, which, um, to, which kind of leads to my final question of this section, which is around, you know, do you find that um, selling chats to corporates or less than corporates, whether it's now become a quite a commoditized space where cost becomes uh, the key determining factor of who people use or otherwise, because obviously there's, if you're doing chat properly, you're saving money, um, making more money. Uh, and we find it in, in our sector, and I'm sure Derry does too, where you know, when sectors mature a bit, then what you're finding is things do become more commoditized and mm. everyone seems like they're doing the same thing. So then cost becomes the key differentiator. Yeah, and it's 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 been an interesting journey, I think, for us because when we first started about nine years ago, um, we were uh, the only provider doing what we did. Um, and over the years, we've had a, a fair few competitors uh, crop up in the market, and the their, their their approach tends to be to try and race to the bottom of price. And we we don't compete on price. We're not set up to give you the very cheapest service. Um, you know, the, the 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 business is a lot more than just a team of chat agents. And a lot of energy goes into um, having a proper strategy, analyzing the insights, um, you know, finding the right the right team members as all native English, uh, UK and US based, um, you know, client relationships and and so on to, to kind of really make sure that we are hitting on two core goals, which is are we delivering a great customer experience and are we delivering the business a return on investment? 
And that's the kind of area we we, we compete in. Um, but one of the things we've been looking at recently has been how can we better display that to the world? Um, you know, when everyone's offering the same sort of thing, you know, live chat outsourcing, chatbot building, um, we've been looking at how we, can we take it up another level and have something which is a lot more compelling and focus more on the reasons why our clients work with us. Um, so we're going through a bit of a transitionary period at the moment to move away from live chat outsourcing and over to more uh, much more focused propositions, which are tailored to individual um, kind of use cases. So we've got one around um, lead generation, one around commerce, one around support. Um, and with that, there's a mix of um, kind of strategy, technology, and process to be able to have something which is very tailored to, to specific business uses. So because more about more about value as opposed to cost, which is always the right thing. Um, and I think we all, we all suffer it with you know, we're pitching and talking to procurement departments, trying to make them understand what the difference is between value and cost. And every now and again, you get that great procurement person who really knows their job. We had one recently where we we um, were negotiating on on price, uh, and then. Um, the procurement person turned around to me and said to me, look, don't worry about the price. We're not buying carpet. And so, I mean, that, that was the first time for, for years. So I was like, okay, thank you. We can start talking about growing your business now, talking about investing in the future, doing all those great things, as opposed to can you do it cheaper, can you do it cheaper? Uh, so again, certainly what you do, Joe, it lends itself to that value versus cost, because it, for me, it's an integral part of that, that client experience, that customer experience, which is so important, which again, my team and Joe's team rely on your your end doing its job so it makes everyone else look good as well yeah yeah um, I mean, what, you know what you know what i see a growth areas is the the big heading of customer experience you know organizations are wanting to invest in that because they recognize that you know the online comp world is so competitive to have unique products to have unique services is hard but that the last big economic battle is over who's got the best experience that feels mm -hmm. best when I'm using it or buying it. And so online experience, as well as on in-store, on telephone, but online. But the challenge, the challenge we find sometimes is an organization is who owns that customer experience. You know, you might have a, you might in some cases have a customer journey, a journey director or, or manager, or you might, it might be pushed to, to you know, one side of the e-commerce or the merchandising or the, the digital team. Um, so where do, where do you fit in and how do you, how do you, uh, <clears throat> demonstrate the customer experience value in the best way? So traditionally, I, I, I believe most people have generally fit in uh, or competed on either quality, uh, price or convenience. They're, they're, I think, the core areas that you can compete in. Um, but I am a big believer in the fact that there's, there's a fourth, which is all around uh, experience. Um, and ultimately, everyone has uh, a responsibility for delivering a good customer experience. Whether you let's take an e-commerce brand as an example, whether you're in the customer contact team or in the marketing team or in the dispatch team, every single touch point that a visitor has with that business is a chance to add or detract from that customer experience. And our positioning is generally on someone's very early interactions with the business. You know, it's when they've recently come to the website and before they've necessarily become a customer. And our place is to try and you know deliver a warm, welcoming, engaging and a person-to-person, a, 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 -person, a human-to-human type relationship and make that person feel like they are the only one on the website at that point in time and give them so all the information. How do you find in, in your client organizations, do they, uh, mm. do, they, do they 
I'm just thinking about silos, you know, trying to help an organization, particularly the larger ones. How do you get people to talk to each other across the silos, understand that this is the core thing, customer experience? Who's, who's the buyer of your services? What's the job title? Um, typically CMO roles in, in a lot of cases. Um, and I think more and more customer experience sits within marketing teams uh, and, you know, also marketing, they're, 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 they're very important in terms of, sorry, chat is a very important part of people's marketing mix, or at least it's becoming so more and more. I mean, I, I, I hear some sort of maverick views out there that, you know, marketing is, is either marketing comms, pushing pushing messages out, everything else is is, is conversion or, or, or sales enabling or um, so, so marketing is going through, I think, a bit of a transformation, isn't it, the, the, where marketing fits into the whole digital space. But in terms of the trend, are you seeing an increased demand from from those guys and what is the data? What, what, what do they do with it? Or do you still get stuck with just part of the business rather than it, be, it being taken wider? I mean, our, our aim for the next couple of years is to make conversation a topic of boardroom conversations um, because more and more it's um, touching on all of those different points of, of, of the business. You know, it's, it's, um, it is a key part of marketing and I, I think marketing will always be the kind of the core owners. Um, but the reality is everything that conversation uh, achieves can help the rest of the business achieve its its objectives. So we are doing our best to try and build up um, links and relationships with various different people in our in our um, client organisations. It's always a bit of a slow and steady steady progress. Um, what kind of data? What kind of data they like at, at the board level? How can you sum it summarise it down? Um, good question. I think there's there's a, a few different elements for it. I think there's um, the kind of quantitative data, which I think everyone understands in terms of the Im impact on the uh, conversion funnel, customer satisfaction, net promoter score, um, and that side of things. But I think the area which is becoming more interesting is the customer insights element of it. Um, you know, to take kind of the way things have traditionally been done. You have market research and that's either a survey or a focus group. Um, and it's it's quite a clinical way of generating feedback. And also it only really surveys um, your existing customers or your idea of your prospective customers. The beauty of chat is you've got people in their natural habitat, uh, engaging with the business in a very natural way. And what they say and how they say it is a really, really useful way of being able to better understand not just your current customers, but your prospective customers. Because not only do you know what they've said, but also you know what the end result was, whether they ended up you know, buying from you or, or moving on and, and coming back another time. I think, that's a I think that's a really, really powerful thing. So often marketing surveys and so on are done with the best intentions, but you're asking people about something when they're not doing it, when it's not mm -hmm. on their mind. And so you get answers. We all know human beings answer different questions in different ways, depending on. Yeah, on even with usability, where you you put people in a room and you kind of get them to go through certain tasks, um, and you do your best to make sure that it's as clean a test as possible. But it's not going to be anywhere near as clean as you know, dealing with a person's real world context and real world experience uh, of a website or brand. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. So I like that. So, look, so looking at longer term trends in the market, AP and I chatted just this morning about, you know, we've seen a pickup just in the last month of interest. Digital post-COVID is going to be bigger and it's going to keep on 
being more important for more businesses. Where do you see chat fitting into that? Is that exactly what you're seeing, or are you seeing a different different trend? Uh, we've definitely seen an uptick. Definitely seen an uptick, and I, it's interesting because we've seen an uptick across different use cases, different industry industry verticals. Um, I think you know the, this, this year is hopefully going to be good for for a lot of businesses. There's a lot of pent up demand. I think the forecast for the economy growth is is looking more positive than it was originally intended to be, um, and I think people are moving away past now, or at least quickly moving past the. Um, kind of uh, extend your cash runway position. I think they're now in a position where they're looking to capitalize uh, on these next few years to make up for any any lost experiences. Um, and even once you've grown, they're, they're now moving out of the uh, challenging times and they're looking at how they can take it to the next level. Um, so I'm feeling very positive about the next few years. Um, and it's definitely showing in, in both a uh, kind of prospective client perspective, as well as from our our existing clients and seeing an increase in demand uh, across most verticals as well. So it, it fits in the story where we started, where, where AP started us, that you know, the Greenlight team bring in the visitors to the website. Part of my team at Tribe, we, we, we measure the customer experience and keep it tip top and flag up when it isn't. Uh, and you guys are doing exactly the same, Joe. You're flagging up when it's not tip top. Overall, the whole thing is to make the customer experience good and make the conversions. Definitely. And the only thing I'd add to that there is, is it's a perpetual loop that kind of then feeds right back into the very beginning and, and um, becomes this, this self-perpetuating uh, flow, which is there's a huge synergistic uh, opportunity there. Great to talk with you, Joe. Fantastic. Likewise. Thank you both for having me on today. Cheers. Thank you, Joe.